Hello, and welcome to another edition of Critical Q&A, the show where I answer your questions based on what you have sent me by email at askchrisshelton at gmail.com. If you put your questions in the comments section, I may or may not see them. It is not guaranteed that I will copy them into my, co into my question queue, but if you send them to me by email, I will definitely get them and I will definitely put them in there. All right. I hope you guys were able to check out the podcast this week. I was able to interview Steve Hassan, uh, author of The Cult of Trump, a new book that he has just put out. He is also the author of many other books, including Combating Cult Mind Control, and uh, someone that I've been following and listening to and taking the advice of for many years. His uh, work has been instrumental in my recovery from Scientology and many, many other people's work uh, recovery from their uh, respective cult situations, and he decided to um, aim his expertise in the direction of what is going on right now in America. And uh, we had a big talk about that, got into some really interesting specifics about it, and I hope you guys will check that out. I know this is contentious, I know it's controversial, I know a bunch of people hate it whenever I bring it up or talk about it, but, you know, if you look at it from our perspective as people who are... Um, interested in and concerned about manipulation and influence peddling and, and thought reform, then if you see instances of that in the real world, no matter where it's coming from, and I have definitely talked about it from the left as well, um, done whole videos about that, <laughs> um, then you have to say something about it. You know, if you see it, if you see something, say something, right? So anyway, that's the, uh, the, some total of my apologetics for making a video about Trump and uh, the cult of Trump. All right, guys, let's go ahead and get on with your questions now. Corey, I saw a headline, Tom quits Scientology. I wonder if you have any insight into this. There doesn't seem to be a lot out there on the internet. Also, considering what you said in the recent Mormon Stories podcast, I wondered how bad of a loss that would be to the church and what they might do. Do you think they would declare him? Ah, Tom Cruise. Okay, here we go. So, um, uh, Tony Ortega, for many, many years, has been reporting about this kind of thing. And he noted, and I get this from him, that um, when a new Tom Cruise movie is on the horizon or is going to be coming out, uh, they somehow leak this story about how he's quitting Scientology or leaving Scientology. This happens over and over and over again. And it's always a false rumor, and it's always leaked, and it's always reported on because, of course, it's Tom Cruise. So, um, so people believe it, and then they start thinking, oh, he's quitting Scientology. He's a good guy, you know, for that group of people who think that Tom Cruise is a complete, you know, dickhead because he's a Scientologist, and not just a Scientologist, but... Um, a, an extremely narcissistic and abusive Scientologist who actually has taken advantage, I mean, this is on record, that he has taken advantage of Sea Org members for basically what amounts to slave labor, uh, you know, in terms of renovations of his studio apartment or, or as a hangar, uh, airplane hangar, his home, um, Scientologists around him all the time servicing his needs. You know, this is, uh, this is not a healthy relationship. And Tom Cruise knowingly and, you know, fully takes advantage of that and has in the past. And we know about all the other stuff about Scientology and Tom Cruise, like the, the whole hunting for a wife for him and all of that. That, that was all real. That was all true. So, um, so there is this bad PR image of, of Tom Cruise out there and his publicists and his managers and, and PR people are very, very aware of this. 
And Tom, that's why Tom Cruise has been, you know, kind of muzzled and, and, you know, got the leash on, right, when it comes to talking about Scientology. He's just not going to do it. Um, and the reason for that, of course, is because there's a whole lot of awkward questions waiting right on the other side of tell us about Scientology, Tom, right? And he doesn't want to go there. He has no interest in going there. And, no, and his PR people certainly don't have any interest in going there. So even if he does... You know, it's not gonna not gonna happen. So, um, so this story gets leaked. Whether maybe it's from the studio rather than you know Tom's people, but wherever it's coming from, um, it's not something that Tom Cruise himself would okay. I'm I'm very sure about that. I'm positive that Tom would not knowingly allow that to be leaked. And yet, I don't know that he even sees tabloids. And, and media like we do. So I don't know that he even knows that this stuff gets leaked. Nobody ever asks him about it, do they? <laughs> All right? So he might not even know that this kind of story is happening. Because he's still, you know, if, if Tom Cruise were confronted one-on-one -on -one about Scientology, he's going to start talking and he's going to be very proud and very, uh, you know, like, hey, man, I'm a Scientologist. Don't be giving me any, you know, flack about it. Um... As far as how big of a loss you asked about, how big of a loss would this would be for the Church of Scientology, I can't think of anything short of, short of getting their tax exemption taken away. I can't think of a single thing that would, that would be more damaging to uh, Scientology's public relations or PR uh, than Tom Cruise leaving Scientology in a public way. If that became known and that was a thing and that actually happened, right? And if he started speaking out against it, which I'm convinced he'll never do, but if he did, <laughs> oh, I mean, that would be, you know, Scientology would probably, uh, I don't know, a third of, of Scientologists would probably just go, okay, screw it. We're, we're, we're totally done now, right? I mean, if he really got earnest about it and started speaking out, like if he did something like Leah did, oh man, that would be it. Uh, Scientology would be over pretty fast. Because uh, he'd probably dish on some stuff that he knows about Miscavige that he probably shouldn't know about, you know, that sort of thing. Um, I, that's what I think would happen. I actually do. I think Tom Cruise is a big enough personality, uh, you know, here on planet Earth that uh, enough people internationally would listen to him and, and listen to what he has to say. And if he said Scientology was shit, then millions more people would be saying Scientology is shit. I mean, that's just how influence peddling works and celebrities are influence peddlers. At the end of the day, that's kind of what they are. Uh, so, yeah, so that's that's uh, what would happen there. And, of course, if he ever said a negative word about Miscavige or Scientology in any way, then, of course, he would be declared. If he left the church quietly and never said another word about it one way or the other ever for the rest of his life, then they wouldn't declare him. But if he left the church, I don't think Tom Cruise would particularly care one way or the other about whether they declared him a suppressive or not. But I think they would. Uh, and that, of course, would, um, that would, that would follow him publicly speaking out, right? If he left quietly, they would just don't ask, don't tell, right? Don't say anything about it. And any Scientologist who ever asked about it would be lied to. They'd be told, now Cruz is doing this, doing that, doing the other thing, you know, uh, you don't hear about it much because he's so busy, blah, 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 sort of thing. They'd come up with some kind of shore story, right? So anyway, there you go. Travis. Is there any information in the Scientology library of writings, lectures, etc. that has not been leaked by ex-members yet? 
what type of information might be contained in such unleaked information? Hey, thanks for the question, uh, Travis. And I've actually made a little list here because there's actually a lot of stuff. As much as you guys have available to you on the internet, and it's a lot because I've downloaded everything that's available out there that I could get my grubby little fingers on over the last six years. Um, I've got a very extensive online library of Scientology materials, but there are huge holes in what I know exists versus what I've got my hands on. And I'll go down a couple things on this list to let you guys know what you're missing out on out there. Uh, first off, there are all of the, or, or there, the entire library of the Office of Special Affairs directives and issues and, and guidelines and orders and programs. There's a ton of stuff that the Office of Special Affairs uh, has in writing or, or stored somewhere away. And, um, and there's a ton of issues and advices and directions and, and things that Hubbard wrote for them or that other people wrote in his name, which still exist, right? All these old Guardians office stuff that got converted over to OSA stuff. And, and we don't, you know, there's a ton of stuff there. So there's, so there's all the ways that OSA operates, right? There's, a, there's stuff missing there. Um, superpower. We've had discussions about superpower. Dan Kuhn, who was on the development team and was working on putting all that together for many years, has leaked about what Hubbard said about superpower, what's, what the rundowns are, what they likely consist of, but his knowledge of it is only from when he was in the church working on it, and we have not had leaks of the actual superpower materials as they are being delivered right now in Clearwater, Florida. So that would be cool to get some of that. There's also the L rundowns. Um, these are special, super high-level rundowns that are done um, uh, at various points on the bridge. You can do them, and they're supposed to sort of supercharge a Thetan. And there's L10, L11, and L12. L stands for list. So it was list 10, list 11, and list 12. These were things Hubbard developed in the early 1970s on the ship in order to help out um, executives from Scientology organizations who were there doing training, Sea Org executives, and it was supposed to supercharge them and kind of reach in and, and take this deep level of, of core junk, you know, inside you as a spiritual entity and just rip it out, right? And uh, that's what that was all about. So the L's that we have or that we know about have been written down from memory of people who delivered them. So it's probably, you know, not horribly bad, but it's not the current L's that are being delivered right now. We don't know what those actually are. At least I haven't seen it anywhere. So if anybody's got those, definitely let me know. Then there is the uh, Truth Rundown. Now, I did a whole video about this and described what the Truth Rundown is. This is what Leah Remini received when she went to FLAG and was getting security checking or auditing when she was uh, talking about where Shelly, right? This is how they were handling her, was the truth rundown. And um, it is probably the single most destructive and invasive um, and mind thought reforming action that the Church of Scientology has, at least, one, at least that I know of. Out of all the auditing, all the training, all the mechanisms that Scientology has, and they are legion. The truth rundown is, is I, in my estimation, the single most um, psychologically damaging to somebody because it is, it is, it might as well be called the gaslighting rundown because that's the end result of it is you are completely, you've completely gaslighted yourself in a way because you have to recall times. You, you didn't do it to yourself. The auditor in L. Ron Hubbard actually did it, but 
what you do is, uh, I, I, there's a whole video on this, but basically the bottom line is you get to uh, deal with instances of you forwarding uh, black PR or enemy lines about Scientology, right? Like, you know, Scientology staff don't get paid or something. That's a that's an enemy line. It's, it's true, but in the world of Scientology, in the bubble world, it's not true. And it, and it can't be used and it can't be accepted and you can't think with it. So you got to get in there and rip it out and you do it with the truth rundown. And this involves you looking back in your in your past for, you know, times that you had all these evil intentions and, and, you, and you handle all that connected with this kind of, of, uh, of bad PR that you're forwarding or spreading around. And uh, then you have to realize that you were deluded. It was all you. You were the one who was deluded in thinking that staff in Scientology orgs don't get paid because they, you know, a policy says that they do and they will and they should. And so, uh, you know, all the policy is good and L. Ron Hubbard is good and everything is wonderful. And if staff aren't being paid, it's their fault. It's not because of Scientology or L. Ron Hubbard or his policies. And, you know, you realize at the end of the Truth Rundown that you were the one who was deluded about it. It's literally 1984, right? At the end of 1984. It's that kind of a, of a end result. It's very, it's very bad. Uh, rollback issues. This, is, uh, this has to do with ethics interviews. This has to do with uh, finding the source of where some of these enemy lines come from. Um, I believe I've also done a video describing rollback and what that's all about. Um, then there are power, power plus, these rundowns. This is done uh, right after a person finishes between, if a person doesn't go clear, following the usual steps, right? You do, but, 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 okay, I'm clear. Well, if that doesn't happen, then you get what's called the alternate route to clear. And the first thing on that is power and power plus. And these are just special Scientology rundowns. And all the information on that is outdated. They've revised it. They've, they've re-put that stuff out there. And I have no idea what it says. So we don't know what they're doing right now under, under the name of Power and Power Plus. Um, the latest OT levels. A lot of the OT levels have been revised or changed in some ways, probably in significant ways overall, um, compared to what we have on the internet. But the stuff that's on the net is, you know, a couple decades old. The, the differences would have to do more with... Uh, changes in practice or procedure, stuff like that. Um, then there's OT8, of course. There have been three versions of OT8. These are all um, on the net because people have recalled what they ran or what was done, and they've talked about it, sort of memoir style. But I don't think we've had a leak of the actual issues, uh, except for that one about Hubbard and Lucifer. We got that one. But I haven't seen the other things in uh, formal bulletin format. Uh, according to how Scientology would format that stuff. So uh, I'd like to see that. There are a ton of Hubbard issues on management and the Sea Org and Sea Org management. These are called flag orders. There's also central bureau orders. There are also international management executive committee executive directives and L. Ron Hubbard executive directives. And those are on the net, I think, but not all of them. Um, there's just stacks and stacks of different kinds of issues that Hubbard wrote that are all internal directives and guidelines and policies. And um, we have the, uh, the, what are called the green volumes and the red volumes, and that's where the bulk of the policy and the tech is for Scientology, but it's not all of it by any stretch of the imagination. There's just 
stacks and stacks of stuff that's never come out of the church. But it's, again, kind of minutia type of stuff. It's very super specific stuff, like only for specific organizations. Like there's a whole pack of issues for uh, making films and doing audiovisual editing and, and compilations and all of that. All the stuff that's done at the Golden Era Productions up in San Jacinto, right? All that kind of technical specialized work has issues from L. Ron Hubbard on how to do it. So, um, and there's issues on art and stuff. And there's all kinds of stuff. So, so that stuff has not ever leaked out of the church particularly. And, there's, and this also includes, by the way, old uh, org evals. Like Hubbard personally was doing evaluations of Scientology organizations, telling them what to do. None of that stuff is leaked out. I've, I've read tons of those things when I was in the church. It's all on, it's all on disc, but never come out. Um, then there is Excalibur. Okay, that's the book that Hubbard uh, wrote in 1938, he said, and a lot of Scientology is based on it. And uh, that is hidden away up in the archives of, uh, of uh, San Jacinto or at the Church of Spiritual Technology, wherever it's located. I don't know physically, specifically, exactly where. But there are a few copies of that book, Excalibur, up there. And I have talked to two people who told me that they have seen it, have held it in their hands, have read it. Um, couldn't really, one of them uh, wouldn't really, uh, I'm not really in touch with now, and the other one um, didn't really have a lot of details for me about it. So, you know, I don't really know anything more than what I've already said about Excalibur, but it's something that's never leaked in full out of the church, and that would be, that would be a doozy to get, to get our hands on. And then, who knows what else is in Hubbard's archives. So, that's the little list I made. Um, a lot of stuff. So, you know, maybe at some point, hopefully at the end of all of this, um, all of this stuff will come out, but uh, I'm not holding my breath. Eric Kerner. After listening to many of your videos and those of other ex-Scientologists, as well as reading a stack of articles on the subject, I've come up with a definition of Scientology which I'd like your thoughts about. Scientology is a belief system based on the assumption that science had reached a certain level of development in the 1960s, which made it possible to develop not just a physical technology, but also a kind of mental technology through which one could affect the mind and personality of a person by ridding him of his subconscious self, the so-called reactive mind. The basis of this road to personal transformation is called auditing and consists of multiple questions techniques monitored by an auditor through the medium of an electric resistor called an e-meter. Scientology's equivalent of Mormon underwear. When, after some years of putting these methods into practice, they were seen not to have any lasting effect on the clients, rather than revise the system, Hubbard began to look for supernatural reasons for the failure, lighting upon the idea of body thetans who are corrupting the human psyche and which, through further auditing, might be eliminated, leading to the desired superhuman powers of the mind. In order to provide some sort of cosmology for how these body thetans came about, Hubbard came up with a bit of science fiction that, quite likely, he knew himself to be just that, namely the whole Xenu narrative, which really explains nothing nor has anything to do with anything even in Scientology. We have thus a two-tiered system, the first based on an illusory epistemology which failed to produce results, propped up by a further time and money-consuming series of futile activities based on no logical foundation at all, which have the sole purpose of keeping the money coming in. Okay, thank you, Eric. That's, uh, that's very, uh, there's a lot there. 
Um, okay, so, and I basically agree with you on a couple points in terms of the framework you're sort of creating, but uh, there's a lot of details I think you're kind of getting mm, half right. Um, not totally wrong. I don't really have, I don't really think you said anything there that's completely false. But uh, let's see here. Uh, what I want to say is that I think the framework you're making that Hubbard, um, in terms of a belief system, you said Scientology is a belief system, and it is a belief system. And that belief system is hung on this sort of pseudoscientific approach to solving the problems of the mind, and those problems, you know, being that, that solution being Dianetics. And when that was seen not to produce the results, like you said, then Hubbard went on with developing Scientology, and that itself became the subject of many, many revisions through the years until he lighted on the um, confidential and now confidential information, upper level advanced information about OT rather than clear being the ideal situation to go after all a la Dianetics, it became operating Thetan. And that actually was first formulated in 1952, the idea of OT. Not the OT levels and not the Xenu narrative, but the, just the concept of an operating Thetan. And that was something that Hubbard sort of played around with um, for all through the 1950s, clear and OT, you know, that one would receive priority and then the other, you kind of bop around on these things. But OT really came into its own in the 1960s. And uh, you mentioned that um, there, the thing about body thetans and how this doesn't really connect with anything else in Scientology and that the cosmology of how these body thetans came about was just science fiction that Hubbard probably knew himself was just science fiction. I'm going to push back on that whole thought, okay? Um, one, body thetans do not, are not disconnected from everything else in Scientology. They're, they're not, like I've mentioned before, and you're probably influencing your, your definition here, I said that they are not logically consistent. The lower level Scientology materials and the upper level materials don't, don't mesh well together. But they're not completely disrelated. You are introduced to the concept of a thetan very early on, and a body thetan is really just another thetan who's in a particularly screwed up condition and has been for a very long time and requires rehabilitation. And that's what a person is doing when they're addressing body thetans on the OT levels is they're individually contacting every single one of these thousands of body thetans that are, you know, on or around this person's body. And they are telling them, hey, wake up, buddy. Let's go. Time to wake up. You know, and, and, and let's take a look at a few things and let's let's get you off out of here, right? And that whole process is only supposed to take a couple minutes per, per body thetan, apparently. Because uh, they got, you know, and then this takes just, you know, all this time to get through this. Um, so not totally disconnected. And I don't think that, and also, sorry, uh, the other thing I wanted to say about this is that Markab and Xenu and the Galactic Confederation... Xenu is not mentioned in the non-confidential lower-level materials, but the Galactic Confederation is, and the Markab Confederacy is, and um, all kinds of space opera stuff is being thrown around at the lower levels of Scientology, and that also started back in 1952. 
And all through the 50s and 60s, Hubbard was developing all kinds of strains of science fiction narratives that explain different phenomena in Scientology. And what had Thetans been up to all these years, right? What were they doing? Well, apparently they were flying around in spaceships and getting implanted and running multiple bodies at any one time and having uh, bodies in pawn where you have a body that you're connected with spiritually, but actually it's under somebody else's control. And they just kind of keep it on ice and wake it up from time to time when they want to give you instructions. Meanwhile, you're here on planet Earth or some other planet running a body, doing your thing, and suddenly you're getting these weird instructions from somewhere else while that's somebody waking up your other body, right? This is all according to a, a lecture from 1952 called The Role of Earth. Uh, one of the most classic science fiction-y uh, kind of Matrix style, really. There's some crazy stuff in that one. Uh, and that's from all the way back in 52. So Hubbard was pushing science fiction narratives really early on in Scientology and, and continued to push them, like I said, all through the 50s and 60s before he lighted on Xenu and the whole, you know, and his band of uh, loyal officers and, and all of that. Uh, okay, so so that's the only real point of pushback I have on everything you've said there. Otherwise, I think the two-tier system of, uh, uh, like I said, the framework I completely agree with of he created something, it didn't really work, so he built a whole other thing on top of that, and that didn't really fly, and then he built another thing on top of that. And really, if you were to break Scientology down, you'd probably find about five, six, seven levels of stuff that Hubbard has built on top of other stuff that didn't really totally pan out until you kind of, you know, until you finally have modern Scientology. So anyway, thanks, Eric. I, I hope my feedback was useful or helpful in some fashion. Kirsten Sundell, your conversation with John DeLynn the other day brought up CST, the Church of Spiritual Technology, which jogged my memory about a silly question I had. Maybe Dylan Gill would know this, but when Miscavige declared the golden age of tech and vanquished all those misplaced suppressive semicolons, did the poor folks at CST have to scrap all of those stainless steel plates they'd engraved with LRH's complete works and start over? Hey, Kirsten, thank you very much for the question. First off, let me let you, this is so minutia, but let me first correct you that it wasn't the golden age of tech which was in 1996, where the books were so heavily revised, it was 19, it was in 2004, I believe, when the golden age of knowledge came out, and that was when these books were revised, and the semicolons you're referring to were from the book Science of Survival, where Miscavige stood on stage and said they found something like 2,000 uh, semicolons that were completely wholly unnecessary and shouldn't have been there. And they had gone through and revised the books, all the basic books of Scientology, um, based on, uh, you know, the fact that the editors and the copywriters or the, the stenographers or whoever, the secretaries, all those people had screwed things up over the years. And Miscavige had come along with his golden pen and, and, uh, and corrected it all and gotten it all figured out. And now here was the material exactly the way L. Ron Hubbard always intended it which has so many logicals in it, I, I'm not even going to go there right now. It's just, let's just say Miscavige was bullshitting everybody and he did a really good job of it. Um, so as far as your question of was the, the Church of Spiritual Technology is making all of Hubbard's works uh, on steel plates and uh, nickel-plated records so that the lectures and the books and written materials all survive in you know, um, NASA tech 
level uh, space technology storage systems uh, buried in vaults under the ground in case the world destroys itself. So, um, so yeah, they were if they were going to have to go back and pull all the stuff where all the semicolons were, all the stuff that got changed, they were going to have to change that. Uh, and that's just more work for Shelley Miscavige and company up there, and that's what they're working on. Gay Graham. I understand that Sea Org members are clearing the planet by helping with auditing, etc., but I don't understand why Sea Org members never wonder who is doing the other work, such as making less crime in countries, or helping underprivileged children to read, or all the work Miscavige claims Scientology is achieving each year. Didn't you ever wonder why you never met anyone in the Sea Org that said, yeah, I just got back from somewhere where I taught all the kids to read and the literacy rate is now 89%. Also, the Sea Org members that are sent to disaster zones to have a few pics taken and then leave, or more baffling, is the person who arranges the trip and takes the phony pics not to see that something is wrong. Okay, gay, uh, thanks for the question, and let me point out a couple things to you that might help, so you'll help me understand what, why this could be going on. First off, a destructive cult is a mindset, it's a, it's a different mindset, okay? When you're in, uh, it's a bubble world, and when you're in that bubble world, you're not looking at, the wor at that bubble world through the lens of critical thinking. You're not being critical or, um, you know, wondering what's wrong about this picture. You're there to contribute to making the picture right, and if something's wrong, that's kind of a reflection on you and the other members around you uh, that you're not making it go right. In fact, the motto uh, of, what, what is it, the supreme test, sorry, the supreme test of a Thetan is his ability to make things go right. That's the Scientology maxim. So, first off, I want you to kind of adopt that idea first, right? That that's the mindset that, these, that every Scientologist and especially Sea Org member is in. Now, on top of that, there's another additional point of pressure, which is when you're in the Sea Org especially, and the people who get sent out to do the filming at disaster sites are Sea Org members, the people who support the people who deal with all the literacy programs in prisons or drug rehab or this or that or whatever the big PR thing that's going on. There's a, there's a person put forward there, but the person who's, the people who are supporting them and getting them there are Sea Org members. And all of those people are only interested in one thing, and that is making Scientology look good. They're not there to make Scientology look bad, and when Scientology looks bad for any reason, they again take it as a reflection on themselves. So, so really, you know, when you ask, well, why do they not see this or not see that? Well, it's not that they don't see those things. It's that they don't see them in the same light you do. You know, you look at those things like phony pictures or setups or, um, you know, these... Um, people off, you know, handling literacy, and yet they're not really doing that. You know, you're looking at Scientologists and Sea Org members and thinking, well, why aren't they looking this in, uh, at this stuff and being more critical? It's because their entire vested interest of, I mean, their, their focus of their whole existence is to make Scientology look good, to make it to, and to believe that it is good. And here's the thing about perception. Uh, and this is just kind of science these days, right, is that you are going to perceive what you want to perceive before you're going to perceive what's actually there. Our biases are that strong. Our perception is created 
in a particular way where the, the sequence of perception is the first thing you're perceiving is actually what you expect to see rather than what's really there. And that's a trippy thing. There's a lot to that, okay? But, but knowing, just knowing that, you can know that when somebody is heavily biased and an extreme mindset, and you know, when you're at an extreme end of a belief spectrum, you are in a heavy-duty mindset, right? And that mindset is heavily biased in favor of your group. So everything you see about that group is going to be in a favorable light or is going to be pushed by you in that direction subconsciously. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to sit there and talk to your, talk yourself into stuff. It's just happening because of the extreme bias you've already created. Okay, and this is this is not just in cults, but um, but you can kind of see how this would work on a spectrum uh, where the more extreme of a bias set you have, the more easily you're going to be able to um, perceive things in a way that is favorable to your belief set or your bias set rather than what's really there. Okay, and I think I'm driven driven that point home well enough. I'm sure you guys get it. So, um, so then you asked also, by the way, you asked, you know, how come nobody ever says, hey, I just came back from this area and we handled, you know, literacy to 89%. I actually did talk to people who did that, right, who did talk about that kind of thing. A um, couple times in my 17 years in the Sea Org and, and 25 years in Scientology, I ran into a couple people who had gone off and done projects in other places, remote places. And of course, they always came back with good news because they weren't going to come back and share all the bad news. That would be bad, see? That would get them in trouble. I'd have to write a report on them if they came back from Zimbabwe telling me about how what an epic failure it was and how Scientology didn't do anything to handle literacy in that country. If somebody came back telling me that, I'd be like, well, then what, what the hell's wrong with you that you didn't get your project done? Because obviously Scientology works, so you're the idiot who didn't use it right. You know, I mean, that's going to be the response inside the bubble world. So that's kind of how that whole thing goes down. And I, I don't know, I hope some of what I've said here has helped make this make some sense for you. I know it's difficult. It is not easy to get into somebody else's head under the best of circumstances. But to get into a cult member's head, it's difficult. And, there, and, it's, and this is why I keep stressing education and why my channel exists is to, to help you guys understand these mechanisms and these control operations and thought reform techniques that exist that actually affect all of us um, in one way or another because we're all, you know, at the, uh, we all receive this stuff through propaganda, through media, through, uh, the, you know, infotainment, etc. So um, it's just a matter of how extreme are we acting on it and how extreme are our bias sets, right? That's really the determining factor on how, how crazy we get with some of our ideas. All right. Anyway, I hope this helps. Okay, we are back with some flash answers this week. Let's do it. Sandy, it seems like many of the former Sea Org guests you've had on the show have spent time on the RPF. Is it, quote-unquote, normal for Sea Org members to have been on the RPF? Did you know many members that hadn't spent time there? 
it is not normal for Sea Org members to do the RPF. And, and by normal, I mean a statistic, statistically, um, you're not going to end up on the RPF as a statistical average, right? Uh, I have a hard time knowing exactly what the numbers are, but it's low. You know, it's not, it's, it's just that the people who have been on the RPF were so traumatized by it that we end up talking about it. And, um, and it also happens that, you know, many high-level Sea Org members do end up on the RPF, and that's who a lot of the folks that you've heard from, they were high-level Sea Org members, right, directly working for Miscavige or in high-level positions. And those are the positions that are dangerous and you get busted from. And, I mean, I was in a management position, and... Um, and that's, you know, how I got into trouble. And then a year later, I was on the RPF. So, uh, yeah. Phil Acoustic Chaos. Have any Scientologists, while imagining their past lives during auditing, ever claimed that they knew or met L. Ron Hubbard or David Miscavige? What would be the auditor's reaction? Would they be believed? Would they get in trouble? No, you're looking at one. I said I knew L. Ron Hubbard last uh, lifetime, or at least I actually know. I did not say I knew him, but I said that I had worked on the ship, uh, right, in Treasury. That's what I said uh, in my auditing. And this was taken and noted down, and thank you very much, and that was it. it there's no judgment uh, in an auditing session about that. If you were to, however, there would be a dividing line here, okay? If I said I knew David Miscavige in a past life, what, when he was five? Like, I mean, he was born in 1960. I was born in 1969. So, right, how would I have known him? But if I said, so if I, so therefore, if I said in an auditing session that I knew um, David Miscavige in a past life, and yet it was impossible for me to have known him in a past life, um, except as a child, let's say, right? Then that would just, logically, the auditor would just go, okay, well, wait a minute, help me out with this. How does the math work on this or whatever? And they would sort that part of it out and probably work out that he wasn't really David Miscavige or the guy would have some even crazier explanation for it. But however crazy his explanation might be, including the fact that maybe he was running two bodies at once, right? Remember uh, what I said earlier in the show here? Uh, you know, there's all kinds of things that a person could come up with. I should clarify real fast that not all Scientologists know about or believe that you can run more than one body at one time. The classic idea in Scientology is one Thetan, one body. But Hubbard was alluding to this stuff and talking about it in the early 50s, and it was just too good to not, not mention in the show here. Uh, yeah, so there you go. Bobby Simone, 79. So, Chris, you and Melissa are about to sit down and enjoy a movie what are your favorite go-to snacks? Okay, so I'm gonna have uh, probably Coke or some kind of soda, uh, chips, cheese and crackers, uh, popcorn, uh, or uh, probably some, I, I like to balance out my, my um, salties with some sweets, so I'll probably have some chocolates or some red vines or something like that. Um, Melissa is, um, eats a lot healthier than I do, so she probably has sunflower seeds and, um, some chips or hummus and dip and stuff like that. She likes cheese and crackers, too. And, yeah, that's, uh, just kind of, you know, snack attack. We've had other things, but those are, those tend to be the go-to kind of, kind of things. Okay, thank you very much, guys, for coming around and watching me blabber on here. I very much appreciate your viewership, and I hope that my answers are useful, helpful, uh, educational and informative, and 
maybe entertaining in, in there somewhere too. Uh, if you think that this channel is, is uh, fulfilling that for you, do consider joining me on Patreon. It is what keeps the lights on and the show going here and allows me to do the research that I need to do so that I can get the uh, content that I'm giving you done. Uh, we've got some really, really great content already in the can coming out in the next few weeks. I think you guys are going to be really, really excited by some of it. I've got a podcast coming up with somebody who was involved with Teal Swan's cult. Um, and we've done another three apostates. So that's going to be coming in the next couple of weeks. And of course, more, more, more. So uh, stay tuned and I will see you guys uh, next week. Oh, and by the way, uh, have a great Thanksgiving. Bye-bye.